sin, you relish that your children stand in front of you with their arms high. With yielded spirits and broken hearts, God, thank you for welcoming us um, as we are. You already know who we are, so all you want us to do is just bring us. Let us be us, and you'll do you. And we thank you, God, for love, and we thank you, God, for grace. We thank you for this time and place. God, give Joe uh, the conviction to speak boldly and give us open hearts to hear what it is that he will share with us this morning. In the name of your son, amen. And you may be seated. Good. How are you guys doing this morning? You can have a seat. Uh, the Hetzers, come on up here, please, if you would. Uh, Dan and Rachel Hetzer. Um, let me tell you a little bit about these folks. You know, Rachel could come up on that side. Dan, you're not athletic enough to get up on that side, but here, just walk real slow. This one's loose for day for some reason, so just okay. be careful here. All right. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about my brother and sister, uh, Dan and Rachel. I met Dan a little over a year ago, a year and a half. Uh, Dan was at a local church here in town, and he started uh, collaborating with us at the Nightlife Center, uh, playing basketball with the kids, helping us, you know, and uh, uh, teaching uh, the Bible to those the nightlife kids. And then a few months ago, uh, as they started a transition in their life, they started coming to Grace Life, and uh, I love them both. They're tremendous uh, people. They love Christ. And they're getting ready to, Dan is getting ready. He just took a job as a lead pastor in a church in Siberia. Is that where it is? Oh, it's Ohio. Sorry. Ohio. Sorry. Latitude, longitude, you know, it's kind of all the same. But yeah, they're, they're moving to Ohio this week and um, it's cold up there. 32 is a good 10. So you must really love, you must really love Jesus to do that. But um, no, in all seriousness, uh, these are faithful people. Uh, I love them. Uh, we have friends for life Yes. now. And uh, I know they have about a dozen places they could come to stay in Sarasota anytime you want to thaw out and come back. But what I want to do is I feel like this is our opportunity, maybe the first time in our short history as a church, we get to send some of our people off to do incredible work. He's going to be the lead pastor up there. And, and they have, you have 11 kids? Three. Three. Three, three kids. <laughs> They sound like 11. Yes. They sound like 11. So let's just pray, all right? Um, Father, I want to lift up my brother and my sister to you. Thank you so much for their love for you and for your people. Thank you specifically for their love for truth. Thank you for their commitment to the gospel. Thank you that you blessed us beyond measure in allowing us to become friends and collabor collaborators in the last year and a half. Um, just thank you so much for the impact that they've had in our lives in the very short time we've known them. But we're excited. While we're sad, we're excited to see them go and fulfill the calling that you have, without question, given Dan to be a pastor, uh, particularly in Ohio. I just pray that you would use him in mighty ways that the church would grow, not just in number, but in maturity and in outreach and in effectiveness. Uh, I pray that you would give them a church family that, that loves their children and loves on them as they in turn give the shepherdly love to the church that I know they need. I know that while we are, uh, it's a bittersweet thing for us, I know there's a group of people in Ohio that are really excited this morning that next week they get to have a new lead pastor. And I just pray that you would bless them, uh, keep them encouraged, and help us know as a Grace Life family how we can continue to support them in the years to come. And we pray that we get to see them again too. And we thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you both. Thank you so much. Love you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, be careful.
You're gonna do it too? Wow. Well, you've got to be athletic to handle that cold weather up there in Ohio. I'll visit it in August, but not in February. Uh, my name's Joe Davis, uh, one of the pastors here. We're continuing our series on 2 Corinthians. I'm very excited about it today because, as you heard earlier, I'm going to do the historical and the theological part of the passages today. And then Megan's going to come up and share the devotional side of it. And I'm really excited about it. The stuff she has is very good. But we're continuing 2 Corinthians. We've gone up to chapter 4. The message is titled Jars of Clay. That's the title of the message. It's taken straight from the passage. Let me just read it to you. Here's what Paul says. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. By the way, just beforehand, he was talking about the purity of the gospel right before that, if you remember about you don't have to mess with a good thing. It's the gospel and you don't need to mess with it. So he's talking about the treasure is the gospel. That's what he's talking about. The treasure he's talking about is the gospel. But we have the gospel or this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power of blessings belong to God and not to us. The treasure is in jars of clay to show that God gets the glory. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So let's talk about the history here. Paul had weakness revealed through his hardship. You understand what was going on. Paul had faced much persecution because of Corinth. And remember, the whole purpose of 2 Corinthians was two things, right? Paul was defending his authority as an apostle, and he's defending, defending the purity of the gospel. And because of these two stands, he had faced tremendous persecution. Not just from people in Corinth, but people in Jerusalem and all the other surrounding areas. His claim to apostolic authority was being questioned. The very gospel that he was preaching about salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone was being challenged. And Paul is suffering because of the gospel. It caused him great emotional, spiritual, physical, social, and financial pain. He was feeling it on all fronts. That's why he says... We have been afflicted in every way. He was talking about the fact because of the gospel, because of this treasure that has been placed in jars of clay, we have paid a price in every section of our life. We have been afflicted in every way. Let me just give you some examples, some tangible examples of how Paul had been afflicted. He had been beaten. Like literally, not like in a game of horse, but beaten with a club. He had been slandered. I mean, in unbelievable ways. His reputation, uh, his integrity, everything about Paul had been slandered by religious people. He had been jailed by these same religious people and then political foes as well. He had been betrayed and fined. I mean, he'd been betrayed by friends who were close to him, people he trusted. They stabbed him in the back. 
He had paid a lot of fees and fines to the temple and to, Ro and to the Roman government just to try to keep himself free. And this persecution had taught Paul a very important lesson that is necessary for anyone in ministry, and that's hopefully all of you. Remember, this was a man that before this had unbelievably extreme confidence in his religiosity, if you will. He had been, before he became a church planner and a, a missionary and uh, an apostle, he had been the most vocal, vigilant, ruthless, enduring advocate for the temple and for religion that anyone could ever know. His whole religious mantra, his whole mindset was this. I am a Hebrew among Hebrews. I know the law better than anyone else. I know how to do things better than anyone could ever imagine as far as religious ceremony. I'm good at all this stuff. I'm better than any of you. As a matter of fact, I'm so good at it. I'm the one the temple asks to enforce when people violate it. I'm the one they call on to kill Christians. This was before Christ. So that was his life before. You understand that? I'm Paul. I'm the man. I am Captain Religion. And now he describes himself as a jar of clay. Wow. Think about this for a minute. This guy has undergone such a tremendous transformation from being supremely confident in his own self to being extremely confident in the fact that he is flawed and God needs to work, not because of him, but how? In spite of him. So why does Paul use this picture of jars of clay? Well, let me tell you about what jars of clay were and what, what they are. They're amazingly versatile. I mean, think about it. They can carry fire, like coals. They can carry water. They can carry food. They can carry money. And they're very decorative. I mean, you can have a jars of clay look incredibly beautiful. I mean, you can put Seminole logos or Buccaneer logos right on them. You can't put Gator logos on them. They fall apart when you do that, but that's okay. <laughs> Oh, come on. Don't get mad at me for preaching truth. <laughs> so they're, <laughs> they're extremely versatile and decorative. They are forged, shaped, and refined by fire. I mean, high temperatures are what make a jar of clay usable. They have become, and they were back then, an indispensable household tool. You could not live in your house back then or now if you didn't have some sort of jar of clay or some sort of container. Yet they are all these things, but they are also very delicate. Now, I know they're not as delicate as some of what you guys have, your 25 to 30-year-old Tupperwares in your little drawers. You know what I'm talking about? The ones that you can't find the lids for. Those things last forever. <laughs> He didn't say, we are pieces of Tupperware, because <laughs> that would mess up his illustration. He says, we're jars of clay. They're very delicate. 
jars of clay can crack easily. Even though they may seem relatively durable with what we ask them to do, carrying heavy stuff, you know, coals of fire, they used to carry, use them back then, water, wine, whatever. They seem like they're very durable, but they're actually very delicate. So that's the history of what's going on here, okay? You understand, Paul goes from being incredibly confident in his religion to being humble and broken and says, I'm just a jar of clay carrying the treasure of the gospel, which he had just defended the chapter before. <clears throat> So let's talk about the theological part of the passage today. What does God do and why and how does he do it? I want to talk about God's fragile vessels. You know, jars of clay are an incredible illustration of who we are as humans in just about every way. Meaning, we are fragile. We are weak. We're subject to cracking and breaking down. I mean, we are these things. We emotionally, we get wounded easily. Don't we? Our feelings are hurt quite often. I mean, my feelings get hurt watching football. <laughs> Let alone if I'm, I feel I'm betrayed. <clears throat> Intellectually, most of you are often wrong. Okay, all of us are often wrong. I mean, we're, you know, humans do have intelligence and we can reason and we can rationalize and, and we can be logical, but we're often wrong. Physically, we can easily get sick and injured. Remember last week I said, a lot of you said, boy, Joe, Pastor, you look sick or you look tired. What's wrong with you? Like a bunch of you asked me that last week. My sister who lives in South Carolina was watching the video, and she, she texts me, brother, are you okay? You look sick. <laughs> but we are physically weak, right? I mean, we have flaws. And then mortally, we'll all physically die sooner or later. These physical bodies will, will end. As a matter of fact, all throughout scripture, we see this reference to jars of clay. David does it in Psalm 31, 12. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. <clears throat> David declared himself that. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet talks about it. Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in a high wall, bulging out and about to collapse, whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant. And its breaking is like that of a potter's vessel that has smashed so ruthlessly that among its fragments not a shard is found with which to take fire from the hearth or to dip up water out of the cistern. See what I'm talking about? These incredibly versatile things can be easily shattered. <clears throat> and there's a dozen other ones I could have brought up, but just for the sake of time, I decided not to. But yet, for some reason, God puts his greatest treasure into these jars of clay. That treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Into these jars of clay <clears throat> so that it can be transported from place to place for his glory and to fulfill his will. Why would he do that? I mean, you sent your son to die for this gospel and you're going to entrust this all important 
important message to people like us that are inconsistent. We're liars. We betray one another. We talk behind each other's backs. We waste money. We waste time. We're so unbelievably, gloriously flawed, yet somehow, for some reason, God says, that's okay. My greatest treasure will be entrusted to these incredibly fragile jars of clay. And why? It's because our frailty manifests. Our very fact that we're jars of clay manifests our need for spiritual intervention and physical redemption. Do you see that? The whole point of it is this. Why would I put the gospel into a vessel that doesn't need to show how much redemption is needed? He makes us the perfect object. Listen, this is who this person was and this is who I make them into because of the message they are carrying. That's why he says in verse 10 and 11, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. You see that? For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. That's the history, and that's the theology. Now we're going to have the lovely and talented Megan Mooney come up to give us the devotion. So the last time we did this was a very particular day after a very terrible week in my life. Not kidding. Uh, hardest week probably. Can we do something with this? I'll break it and then he'll yell at me. <laughs> and then you'll have to give more money. <laughs> It'd be so terrible. Uh, and so as we were, as Joe and I did this before, it was my last Sunday in the garden. If you guys were there for that day, that was after a place that I had been for gosh, almost a decade of my life, it was my home, that was my family. Um, so we're preparing, I'm preparing for this day after a week that was extraordinarily terrible, half by my own hand, made some really bad decisions that could have actually ended up costing Grace life, bad choices, uh, seriously. Um, but then just life. And so as I was preparing for today, or last, that last time, <laughs> that was in my backyard. How many of you remember me showing that picture either yet? So as I'm preparing for that Sunday, I was cleaning out the backyard because the other triumph of that day was I got on an airplane and went and picked up Valley Mooney, who is my dog. And I was convinced that if I cleaned the backyard, it would puppy-proof puppy it. What a fool. <laughs> nothing, puppy, nothing is puppy-proofed. But as I was preparing uh, for this day after this extraordinarily horrible week, and I unearth these jars of clay. And Joe, did I text or call you? I'm like, you ain't going to believe this. He's like, send me a picture right away. I'm like, this is my life. It's this nasty, messy, dirty, that's mold. Are they still there? 
You see my backyard? It's a mess. It is a mess. Uh, my focus for that day, though, was on suffering and why how we suffer specifically for the gospel. Um, today, though, as I was, or as I was preparing for today, um, something else got stuck in my head, and it was really interesting to me is that it jumped out at me last time as well. And so we're going to sort of talk about the same thing we did before, but mix in something that's a little bit different. Because like when a song gets stuck in my head, I'm firmly convinced that God wants us to use that song together um, as the body of Christ. And so um, this particular part of the passage has stuck to me, and it's a beautiful devotional application in and of itself. And it's actually what Joe just read, the last two verses. I'm going to read them again. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Um, and I'm doing this because I remember the first, second, 15th time I read this, I'm like, that feels like a lot of words. Like I understand each word individually but when we string them together and we see, because we see some redundancy, right? Always carrying the death of Jesus, the life of Jesus manifested for we who live, that's present tense, always indicates that this is continuing to happen, being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the light, do you see what I mean? Like as you read it, I'm like, what on earth are you trying to tell me right now? What does this even mean? And so that's how we're going to spend, we're going to dig even uh, more deeply, surprise Joe, into uh, what this means for us today. And I want to start with the first part that says the death of Jesus. I oftentimes think that we go, uh, when we think of the death of Jesus, it's that final moment, the nail, the last breath, it is finished. Because his death was super final. It was, it was really brutal. So we think of that one moment, but if you read the context of what Paul is saying, um, in the context of the language, the death of Jesus, he's actually referring to the ongoing process of Jesus dying throughout the, his, the course of his life, but especially his three-year ministry on earth. And what's hard to imagine, because he is Jesus, is that throughout his life he was dying. He had moments where he was dying. But then we have to remember so here's how I made that make sense. I'm like, wait a minute. Jesus is both fully God, but he's also fully man, right? So when Jesus was with us on earth, he was also a fragile jar of clay. And we learn in the book of Hebrews that Jesus was made to experience every single thing that we've ever have ever experienced and ever will experience in our lives. And we read, as we go through God's word, we understand that Jesus experienced a full range of emotions from happiness to sadness. And he wept and he was angry and he got hungry and he got tired. But there are other things that Jesus experienced as a fragile jar of clay when he was a flesh and blood human being walking around. And if we don't think he was flesh and blood, the cross, what happened to him going to, he bled like a man, right? So when he was walking around in that mortal body, in addition to happy, sad, tired, hungry, there are other experiences that Jesus went through that would have been more costly to him physically, emotionally, and mentally. Things that would have um, had a greater impact on him. And I can say that 
because I and you have been through some of the same exact things that Jesus has been through or went through when he was a person walking around on earth. And we know that sometimes in our lives, there are some experiences that are more costly to us than others. Here's what I mean. I'm not clicking on this. Um, The first thing, Jesus experienced frustration and disappointment with the people around him, but specifically his closest friends. Oftentimes, they were trying. They were taxing. They appeared to be quite dense sometimes. And the times that they did get what he was saying, they would flip around and go do something dumb, like call down fire from heaven, right? And Jesus would get so frustrated with them that in the book of Matthew 17, he looks at them and in that moment, Jesus flashes and says, how much longer do I have to put up with you? And I know that we in this room can sympathize and empathize with Jesus' experience because we have been that frustrated with our spouse, with our coworker, with our children, with our parent. Uh, Some of you are chuckling at that one. But we get what that means when we have these moments where over and over again, people are constantly frustrating us and constantly disappointing us, that that chips away at that jar, right? (laughs) One thing can cause that jar to crack. Jesus also experienced incessant demands from other people all the time. Sometimes it was one person. Sometimes it was two people. Jesus this, Jesus that. Jesus heal my brother. Jesus raise my daughter from the dead. Jesus, hey, make my friend walk. By the way, on the way out the door, can you fix the hole that we put in the roof to get him in here to you? Jesus this, Jesus, I need that. Hey, Jesus, I know you're at a wedding trying to enjoy the party, but we're out of wine. I get that one. We're out of wine. Hey, Jesus, there's like 5,000 people here. We don't have enough food for all of them. So we stole fish and bread from some kid. We need you to feed everybody. The man never got a break. It is no wonder to me that there are moments in his life when he went off alone. And if we have experienced that, if you in this room, I've experienced that, I know a lot of you have, if we have been in that spot where we have experienced people always coming at us, the constant demands for our time, for our energy, for this, for that, it is depleting. There is a moment when the well is dry, we can't give anymore, and this thing, it cracks some more. How about this? Jesus also experienced constant opposition from people around him, always trying to prove him wrong, always out to get him, trying to tell him he's wrong, tell him he's wrong. He's a liar. He is false. And even though he was the master, we can all learn from Jesus of how he handled opposition. It was around him all the time. And if you in your life have ever been in a moment or in a cycle where people are coming at you all the time, and it makes you feel like crap because it feels like everybody is out to get you, it's exhausting and you feel like you're drowning. And guess what happens to that clay pot? It cracks some more. Jesus experienced, you saw what Joe put up there for Paul. This one is really difficult for me. Jesus experienced betrayal from a close friend. 
who he picked, who he walked alongside, who he had dinner with, who this man taught him, or uh, watched him teach, watched him heal. In fact, right before this man betrayed Jesus, the God of the universe, the great I am, bent down and washed that man's feet. And he sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. If you have ever been betrayed, you understand that it is a violation of your trust on the deepest level. And there's, there sometimes might not be anything in that jar left. And last, Jesus experienced abandonment when the guards and soldiers came for him. This is after the, the, he said, please stay up, and they fell asleep. Thank you for that. They fell asleep. The guards and soldiers came for him, and his friends scattered. They were nowhere to be found. And in fact, when they caught up with one of them, what did he say? I don't know that, I don't know that guy. I don't know that guy. Three times. Or how about this for abandonment? My God, why have you forsaken me? His worst moment, flesh and blood, jar of clay, hanging on a cross, bleeding to death. Why have you forsaken me? In this room, who has been abandoned by friends? Worse yet, who has felt like they were abandoned by God? Where in the worst moment of your life, you are like, do you not see your child? Where are you? Are you deaf? Do you not see what I am going through right now? The death of Jesus wasn't just the cross. And our death is not how we ultimately leave this earth. The death, the dying process is what Paul talks about. That's what he's saying. We are always being given over to death. We are always being given over to the trials of life and the hardships that come at us. The betrayals, the persecution, pressed, crushed, struck down, afflicted in every single way. We are always being given over, and over time, that slowly kills our body, moment by moment. But here's the good news, brothers and sisters. Thank God it's not about that container. Because on the outside, you saw how easy that broke. On the outside, there is incomparable weakness. But the inside, it is unfailing strength unfailing strength. And so in those moments of your life where you are going through the trials that just come, the trials that you might not ever get to be, you might not ever think they're going to go through. And also we can't delude ourselves. They come until the day that we die. What we have to remember is that God will never allow our trials to defeat us or destroy us ever, ever. And God will never allow those trials to defeat what he purposes to accomplish through them. Because we have this treasure in jars of clay. It's the gospel. It is the saving, redeeming grace of Jesus Christ who works through us because we can't on our own. Jesus, 
the jar of clay raised up, the great I am, now lives in us. And that is the message that when we go through the trials and when we break like that, we're going to come out on the other side. And people are going to say to you, how did you make it through it? How did you make it through it? How did you make it through it? Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about what he did for me, how he helped put me back together. Thank God. Thank you, God. It's not about the container. It's about the content. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, man, come on. Uh, God. It is so difficult, Lord, and I know you know that. And here, here's why we are so thankful for you. Uh, because there is nothing that we will ever go through in our lives that you haven't been through yourself. And that's why, Lord, we can love you and we can trust you because you look on us as fragile jars of clay and you're like, yep, I get it. I've been there. So thank you, God, first of all, for loving us enough that you don't make yourself like some far-off ideal of perfection, of non-humanity. Oh, he can't ever relate to us. You absolutely can. And thank you for giving yourself. Thank you, first of all, for walking around on this earth, for giving of yourself on the cross, for experiencing what it is that we experience so you are sympathetic to us and that you can look on us with love and grace and mercy and you can say, I know what that feels like and I am here for you. God, we thank you for the gospel message. We thank you that we don't have to rely on ourselves because our container is always gonna chip, it's always gonna crack, it's always gonna break, but you never do. And so, God, in, our mo- in the moments of our lives when we feel like we are done, help us to remember that this treasure is inside of us and to look to you and to trust you and to lean on you for the strength that we need because your strength and your love and your mercy and your forgiveness and your grace, it never, ever, ever fails. In the name of your son, we pray.